Good day and welcome to the Tech Central podcast. Today, Daniel Robus, that's me, is going to be taking you through our third and final segment for Ava Security. And they've touched on all things security. We've had insider threat, we've had growth and awareness. And today we're talking really about compliance as well as insider risk and what's going on and how that pertains to data protection. I'm not an expert on that side. So we've invited Chris Budnick, who comes as a CISO from FNB and is going to be speaking to us. But Chris has got so much more to offer because he does have a consulting background. So we're going to dive into some of those topics as well, if you don't mind, Chris. Chris, welcome to the Tech Central podcast. I've seen you now twice in two weeks. This is amazing for me. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Nice to be back and looking forward to the chat. For our listeners who don't actually know you, what does CISO for FNB mean and entail? What is your everyday responsibilities? I'm one of the lucky few that gets to have visibility across the bank in terms of how effective our cybersecurity arrangements are. I get to prod some people in the right direction in order to make sure that we're as effective as we possibly can be. And every now and again, I get to, you know, triage real events, but, you know, it's not a one-man job. I have a fantastic team behind me. And the reason I say I'm lucky is because I get to get the consolidated data and we have a fantastic team behind that has to do all the heavy lifting. Okay. And we were talking about that in the preparation. You were saying that the ops folk are the real heroes. These guys really, what makes a good security ops engineer in your mind? An engineer or a security ops person that understands what they are protecting, that they understand their landscape, they understand the environment within which they operate, that they are technically skilled. They need to very quickly find information when we want to know what's going on. So it genuinely is somebody with finger on the pulse that understands and has spent the time preparing the environment in order to provide quick answers. A good security ops person is on top of things. That's really what what it's about. And what does it take to lead these people? I now know that's a leading question. We were talking about that earlier. What does it take to lead a team like this, to be in the forefront, to be in the cutting edge of what's going on and protecting the environment? I think it's a couple of aspects, but the important one is to understand the security operations role, understand what the guys are dealing with, be practical and pragmatic around expectations from the security ops people. So that's the one side of it. The flip side of the coin is to also understand their limitations, right? So, you know, a typical security operations person will be in the weave of the fabric, if I can call it that, and they may not necessarily see all the patterns. So it is very critical that we understand that. And certainly when I receive information from the security ops people, my job is to be asking questions that allow me to understand what the pattern is and not necessarily just govern the security operations activity at a level of reporting and logging. You know, yes, we want yes. to allow the freedom of the security operations person to dig into the data, understand what they need to do, give them the time and the priority that they need in order to prepare their environment and not get buried in paperwork. On the flip side, the responsibility on the CISO is to absorb and receive this information and bring it into context. So it's, you know, being able to tell the story. If we rate this out of 10, 
10 being us as C-level management and senior management are being buffers for our team and allowing them to be as effective as possible. And one being we are just envelope pushers that are sending information through. How would you rate on average the management around? And how, uh, let me get the rating first. Yeah. So, you know, 10 out of 10 every time you need to be the buffer. You need to allow yes. the teams to get on with the work and focus on shielding them from bureaucracy, I guess mm. one could call it. But there is also an expectation that there is a little bit of push, right? You know, mm. we, we're not doing this work for technical reasons alone. The value of the security operations team must be clearly visible mm. and it must contribute to enterprise cybersecurity or protection of data. Mm. So it is a two-way conversation. Having the balance of the two is critical, I think, for an effective function. Okay. And you've spoken about data. You've mentioned data, prepare the data, time to get the data, get the data in place. And that's really one of the key areas we're looking at today is data protection. The appendage to that is compliance. Do the two work against each other? They don't necessarily work against each other, but what can happen is that if you govern and direct your activity through the compliance lens only, then I think you may not actually achieve the objective nor the intent of the compliance requirement themselves. So I think you must be honest around your objectives and the objectives are not compliance, it's data protection. And if it happens that you're doing data protection well, then I think compliance is automatic. Okay. So you're saying that compliance happens as a result of the right activities to protect your data? Surely there's a couple of areas that stand out that are not only about protecting the data, but understanding where the data is and why it's there. Do you have any comments on how Papaya is affecting this data protection with regards to looking after the rights of the person whose data we are looking after? Yeah, good point. So I think we have to understand that Papaya as an act, the intent behind it is obviously to drive the correct behavior around the use of this information within the organization. And if you are going to use it responsibly, then you have to know where it is and who's using it to a large extent. But also, I think we have to be realistic in terms of what makes organizations effective, right? Um, In the financial services industry, the entire industry revolves around the banking customer or the insurance customer. And as a consequence, we are almost exclusively dealing with data of a personal nature. So as a consequence, it's everywhere. It's woven into the fabric of every single business process that exists. So compliance under such circumstances needs to be seen pragmatically, right? The business will not exist if we don't use the data, nor will the business exist if that data gets misused or abused because there are regulatory requirements as well as legal requirements on this, as well as reputational requirements. You know, Mm. financial Mm. services, by their very nature, must be trusted. And in order to be trusted, we need to be able to avoid circumstances which lead to loss of trust and reputation. So so I think, you know, it's it's actually woven into the fabric of the industry. Mm. And once you acknowledge this, your response strategies need to be appropriate in the context of personal data specifically and in the context of data protection. Therefore, it is about protecting the entire organization and every single component of it. What is your role in the response strategy as the CISO? 
Is that your baby or does it come from line of business if there is a problem? If we have a breach, you've detected it. I know that you have to fix it. But whose responsibility is it to tell affected parties in the bank? Yeah, it's it's an interesting comment. So I'll share my personal belief. Uh, you know, there are multi-schools of thoughts. If you Google the topic, you'll get an answer that, you know, ultimately it's the business owner. The business mm. owns the information. They use it. They consume it. And it's very easy for me as a CISO to then say, well, listen, I'm only here to define the rules, but actually you own it. It's your problem. But that's irresponsible. Uh, you know, I, I can't believe that that is the right way because our business teams are specialists in their business. They're not specialists in data protection. Okay. So passing the buck in that way is not constructive. Mm. So I, I, I think who's accountable? Yes, business is accountable at the end okay. of the day. But I believe that a security team in an organization is responsible on behalf of business to make sure that data is afforded the adequate level of protection. And I think that's a very critical distinction to make. And you asked earlier, so what is my role in this? Well, my role is to take this responsibility, take that ethos to the security operations team so that we make sure that our activities are directed towards that particular objective. Okay. And those response strategies, are you seeing them put together effectively by the business teams? Do they understand the magnitude or is more the focus on achieving the number that's been set at the head? You know, 2021, we need to hit numbers. 2022 is around the corner. Do they think past that? And is that their responsibility? Well, look, it's a blend. And I think they do see it past that, especially in regulated environments. It's again, it's part of how we work. So, you know, I've never had an issue where uh, business was seen to be irresponsible. You know, while accountable, they also understand what accountability means. They understand the risks. They understand their customer. They care for their customer. And I think when you've got that type of mindset, then you would avoid a scenario where the data is seen just really as a means to an end. And I don't think that's the case. Uh, you know, maybe that I may missed. have been in the, in the old days, but I think we moved there. Maybe that. I missed. Maybe I missed the question, Chris. And maybe I didn't ask it. I was asking a very soft question. Do you think the business is security aware enough that they understand the consequence of not adhering to security protocols today in our cyber-connected world? Yeah. Uh, yes. The answer is on the whole, yes. Good. But it is up to us to ensure that they remain up to date Okay. and that they remain aware in respect to the consequences or the new threat vectors that may be out there, which may demand a tweak to ex establish processes. Okay. How do you so, do that? So it's a yeah. How do you do that? So how do we do that? I mean, we as a security team remain vigilant against emerging threats. So okay. we look for what's happening there from a threat perspective, what is out there that may be causing issues or how data is being exfiltrated, how systems are being exploited. And then we distill that against our current business processes and then engage in conversations that drive change. Okay. Um, so a very simple example of this is we are very used to emailing information around. Email has become such a critical component of how we collaborate and work within the corporate yeah. environment. Yet email is increasingly becoming the target of cyber attack. It is mm. often a source of data breaches. It's mm. also used as a vector or as a mechanism to exfiltrate data in some ways. Mm. 
So raising awareness around the risks of email, for example, is something that needs to be continuously shifting. Mm. And we cannot use email the way we used to, as an example. So it's a very simple one and maybe an obvious one, but there are many of these that you need to take into consideration. So your team is outward focused, picking up threats and then inward communicating, guys, change the process because of these threats. So you're a big marketing arm. There's a lot of marketing going on. <laughs> what role yeah, absolutely. Is- it's marketing. It's benevolence in some ways. You know, it's very easy for CISOs to become directive. You know, when you're dealing with areas of risk and compliance, it becomes very easy to say, thou shalt do this. And I think that's where things go wrong, because if you're not in tune in terms of what the business requirements are, often the solutions mm-hmm. that you propose end up becoming ignored. And you'll end up this underground activity emerges, which places the organization at risk through people avoiding bureaucracy. Mm. And that's something that we spoke about maybe in the brief is, you know, what is the CISO's role? It's not only about understanding what must be done, but understanding how to do it in the context of an organizational dynamic that is often unique. And there are organizational constraints that need to be taken into account and maintaining that balance and ensuring that the security operations teams deploy controls where that balance is required, I think, Mm. is the core job description. So how to effectively manage security in the context of the cultural dynamic? I really like how you've put that together and framed that. What role does technology play in your life with regards to this, Chris? The bigger the environment, the bigger the role of technology is. We have moved way beyond manual interventions. The volumes and the speed at which data moves through an organization, the forms that it takes, how it transforms as it moves, requires enabling technology just to keep track. So it's vital component. And as I've mentioned, the higher the volume, the more people there are, the bigger the interactions, the greater the number of customers, the higher the demand is for automation. Otherwise, you lag behind. And then let's not forget that the threat actors are also evolving very rapidly. And when you're working within an organizational construct, you know, it's a very large ship, not as agile. I call them the pirates on the seas. You know, they're in motorboats. They are much quicker. So we need to be thinking about how to protect the tanker and where the tanker is being targeted requires help from technology in order to see it and in order to divert resources to that hot point. That's important. We spoke in the preparation regarding data sprawl, which obviously works against data protection and compliance. How do you manage data sprawl when the business has to carry on? I mean, we're working from everywhere. I need Excel. I need that data dump. What do you do with that? How do you enable your users? Be practical. Acknowledge that that is, in fact, what's happening. You cannot prevent it. You cannot ban it because we need it. We need it for this agility. We need it for that last mile of analytics. We need it in order to deliver a better service. So, you know, an approach, a letter of the law or a kind of compliance-driven approach may say, well, just forbid the data sprawl. Let's not have it. You know, everything must be centralized. Everything must be accessible only when authorized. But in a sense, that kind of capability takes time to establish in a large organization. Creating these massive 
data lakes or marts or whatever, you know, is a, is a long-term journey, yeah. you cannot push the pause button on business. So we need to help to transition towards that state where everything is behind a figurative firewall. So in the interim, acknowledge that it's there and put measures in place that mitigate against the risk of data loss in the context of that sprawl. So what is it? Okay. Where is the data spilling over? And the main spillover is in the unstructured data space, right? So yeah. on the endpoint, on the workstation where the user sits and yeah. operates, especially today. So acknowledge that and start focusing efforts there that are practical, that don't inhibit this agility that business requires, but at the same time minimizes the potential or the risk of large-scale loss. Can you talk us through a practical example where you can get both compliance and data protection where we've got this work from anywhere that's come in the last 18 months, maybe just to make it real for us, Chris? A couple of good examples. So we have now a requirement to ensure that customer data loss is managed and that we don't unnecessarily disclose customer information to unauthorized parties, right? So that's the legal statement. Now, let's take that with the reality that our users may be working on customer data files on their workstation and they're working at home and they step away from their machine for a moment or they go to bed at night and they have a burglary and the machine gets stolen. (laughs) Yeah, you know, sure. um, And that's a practical reality. Today, you may have saved something on your machine and you have a robbery and the machine is gone. So what gives me peace of mind is the ability to ensure that that machine is, for example, encrypted. Most of the time, the robbery happens for the value of the hardware, not necessarily for the data that's there. And if I can make that data inaccessible to the individual that stole the hardware, that in some ways ensures that, yes, we may have lost the data, but it has not been disclosed. Okay. So that's a practical example of how we would work through the scenario. The same kind of principle applies to collaboration. You know, when you're sharing information with multiple parties, making sure that in the process of sharing this information, the data does not fall into the wrong hands. And that may require some degree of herding, channeling the collaboration process toward a safe mechanism to use. How we do that in our context, we may, for example, not allow the emailing of customer data externally from the organization. We would rather encourage you to use a safer mechanism to do so. So there are multiple kind of uh, approaches in this space. Okay. And that's where Ava Reveal comes into the play and protecting data where it's meant to be used, allowing it to be used, but safely. We're saying we're not only putting a fence around the pool, we're putting a pool net over the pool as well. We want everyone to be safe while they're using it without inhibiting or prohibiting them from doing business. Exactly. Okay. So compliance versus data protection in summary, what would your advice be for someone to get it right like F&B is most of the time? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I think the one bit of advice is you're probably never going to get it right all of the time. So also make sure that you have in place the correct measures to demonstrate that you at least have applied due care and that you weren't negligent because that's just as important as being able to apply the correct protection measures. And then if you are trying to protect data across multiple avenues, I mean, consider the use of technologies, things like Ava and the ability to manage inside a threat, look at anomalous behavior, you know, have the ability to catch unusual behavior because often Mm. these data losses are not always malicious in intent. Sometimes 
because we work with so much of it, it can also be accidental. So having the ability to lean on technology that helps to be a very high speed second brain that you have deployed out there across a very wide footprint is essential. So I think it's those kind of capabilities that you need to weave into your response. Policy alone and a compliance driven approach alone is probably not going to cut it. Okay, that's excellent. You've said that in the beginning and it wraps it up for us. Chris, what role do user groups and education forums play for you in keeping ahead of the game? And what would you say should we do to make them as effective as possible? Share your experiences, share the mistakes you've made. We are a bit shy about doing that. And you know, you can only really learn from mistakes. So if we could create safe spaces to share intelligence, share war stories, then I think those are vital now. We're lucky enough to be part of such a network and they are of tremendous help. And if you happen to be in an industry that doesn't have, get one going quite quickly because you're not alone. So become a contributor to the security involvement. And then last one, I think I might have asked you this before, but I'd really like your opinion for a young person coming into the security world who wants to end up where you are as CISO, what are the first three blocks that they need to follow in order to get there? Make sure you understand the technology you're working with. So a technical background helps. And then understand the landscape. Think like a thief a little bit, you know. So build up your skills in the appropriate spaces and then roll up your sleeves and get stuck in. Get a job in a security operations center if you can because that's where you're going to see it all happen. And that's where you build up the experience the fastest and where we are desperate for resources. Fantastic. So, that, it, that is great. You know, as we dive into October and, you know, security awareness, I think we're heightening our awareness of cybersecurity and the threats that are out there. But we also need to paint the picture that this is a very exciting environment to work in, to be in, to mold and grow. And really the barriers to entry to becoming an engineer and having a successful career job company in this environment are relatively low because there's such demand. And that's spot on, 100%. Brilliant. Chris, I'm glad I got one thing right. From my side to your side, from the host Daniel Robus to Chris Budnick, you've been a great guest once again. I hope you have a lovely week. I hope you have a lovely board meeting where you're going to after this. And I hope to see you again soon on the Tech Central podcast. From my side, Daniel Robus, we are going to wrap up Ava and their three-past series by saying thank you to our listeners and our audience for being part of this. Good luck for October. And remember, security, cybersecurity awareness doesn't stop because October goes into the next month. It carries on. We need to raise the bar and stop the baddies from getting money. Have a great day, Chris. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.